Hello, welcome back to another episode of Zenith Podcast. I am your host, Cesar Davila. This is where we explore culture, relationships, nature, art, consciousness, and the appreciation of life. I'm here with Marissa Rojo, a doctor in occupational therapy and high school alumni friend. Hi, Cesar. Thanks for having me. Good. We've known each other since high school. Talking a little bit before we recorded, it was we didn't have too many classes together, but I very much remember like we had a, like at least one class together. Mm-hmm. And then after high school, it's been what like eight years, almost. We, we graduated, graduated 2014. Exactly, it's eight years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's we're our old. ten year reunion's coming up. We're old, dude. Caesar. That is insane. I mean, yeah, you're a doctor now. <laughs> <laughs> you're a doctor. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and you know, the only times we we've seen each other really was when I would be supporting your small business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's your small business name? So I own Four Seasons Acai. It's you can find me on Instagram. It's a um, acai bowl business. So it's I had to do this because when I was in school, I didn't really have like the funds because I couldn't work, and then it, I did it during COVID because we had so much time, right? So I created my own business, and yeah, I've been doing it for about two years now. Yeah, it worked out because what was really cool is that you delivered. Oh, yeah. You know, so it was mm -hmm. so convenient, and you know, I like both times I've ordered it, I've ordered it for myself and my family, and we've loved it, and I I loved how you have four flavors for the four seasons. Oh, five flavors now. Five flavors now. Wow. What are the the names again? You have like the summer bowl, fall bowl, winter bowl, Yeah, so it's called Four Seasons Acai. So I use the seasons in the menu item names. So I have like the fall bowl, winter bowl, summer bowl, spring bowl, and then the pataya bowl. The pataya bowl. Yeah. So is pataya not acai? It's not. It's dragon fruit. Wow. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I will not. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. I'm going to. Okay. Now I have them on my list. Okay, cool. Wow. So yeah. That was really, really cool because when I first bought it, you told me you were going for your master's at that time mm-hmm. during COVID, right? During lockdown 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that was barely two years ago. And how, like, so I guess right now what I want to get into is how did the process of you wanting to go into occupational therapy happen? Like, did you did you start applying? Did you know you wanted to do that when you finished school? When you finished high school, I mean? Not in high school. In high school, I had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, I think not until my sophomore year at San Francisco State. San Francisco State is where I went for two years uh, for college. I think that's when I had to, you know, make your degree decision and all that. So I played sports my whole life. I played volleyball. Yeah. Played in college. And then, so that got me interested in like the human body and the way like the human body works and stuff like that. So obviously when you look at degrees, the first one that pops up is kinesiology. So that's the degree I went to um, for my undergrad and then, obviously, nowadays, it's kind of hard to move forward with just, like, an undergrad degree, depending on what you graduate in, right? Yeah. With kinesiology, you could just kind of be, like, a PE teacher, and that's kind of it. So, obviously, I wanted to, like, see what else I could do. And when you look up kinesiology degree, like, what master's program can you go into? There's, like, physical therapy, occupational therapy. So, then that's how I found occupational therapy. That's really interesting. I've seen, I've already talked to multiple people who played sports throughout their life and like did, did, like decided to get into education about the human body. Mm-hmm. And the base of it really is kinesiology because you're learning mm-hmm. like the, the like the physiology, the anatomy of how like bodies function. Did you yeah. like the science aspect behind it as well? I did. The science aspect was so cool because you learn about how the muscles work, how the biomechanics of the body. And it's just, I feel like as an athlete, you relate to that. And I think just overall, ever since I was even in high school, um, science was always like my preferred 
subject versus like history uh what else is there english stuff like that math, yeah yeah Ma- oh never math <laughs> never it like do you have to ever use math in no. your profession no thank god <laughs> no got it got it i have a question so because like right now you said you had, like it's a very fascination behind the mechanics of a body recently in my spiritual journey mm-hmm. i started like believing that you know the body and the soul are two separate sources of energy you know two separate vehicles i guess and you know like that un- like that makes sense why the body like has like has its own function and its own science you know right. like how do you see I guess, how do you see, like, the body and how it functions with the mind and your soul? Wow, that's a really deep question. I know, straight from the bat. I'm so sorry. It just, it just fucked like, up in my head right whoa, now. whoa, Caesar, Man, I mean, it all connects. That's that's the number one thing. The, the body, the mind, and the soul, they all connect. Um, I don't even know how to answer this. Like, what are... Like, what are Explain a little bit more what your thoughts are on that. So I'm I'm a simple man. I'm not really a science man. I'm just more like, like, so my thought behind it was, you know, my soul is kind of like, I see my soul and then my body is separate. I see my body like li- literally as my vehicle. Like a vessel. A vessel. Right. Literally, a vessel. Yeah. Right. You know, like I, my soul is just taking over this vessel and I'm walking this earth in this vessel, right. you know, that you, you're seeing in front of me. Right. You know, so because of that, I started... Like, that kind of helped me with processing my, my like, my illness with lupus, you know, because right. I realized, like, wow, my vessel is kind of fucked up. Like, you know, like, there's already some shit that's wrong with it. I need to work on it. Mm. But I don't see, like, I have been trying to find a separation between, the like, the health and the strength of my vessel versus the health and strength of my mind and my soul. And I, and I notice it. Because even though my body feels very weak and fatigued sometimes because of the illness that's attacking me, that's only the vessel though. But like spiritually, I don't feel that way. I don't feel weak. I don't feel like I feel the opposite. So it kind of balances each other out. Mm. I Well, I do agree with you about the body having its own vessel, however we want to call it, because I agree the the mind and the soul are so powerful that they don't really, they're two separate things. But I do have to say that if, your mind is strong and like positive and because our mind is so powerful it's crazy i mean like, it affects you physio- like physiologically yes. so that i get the, the connected part of yeah it so well. even though we're saying like it's two separate things if you have a strong mind it will quote unquote help your physical body as well you get what i'm saying yeah you think it works better that way than the other way like for instance if you're struggling with mental health you know so your mind is kind of at that low point but if you're keeping yourself physically in shape, would that help it as well? Yes. So um, we could actually... So at my job, I work at Kedron Hospital. It's a psychiatric hospital in LA. So we actually have ex- exercise groups every single morning for the patients. And we lead them as occupational therapists. And every time that we lead exercise groups at the end, we give them like education. Like, okay, like I know it's hard to do exercise. I know... It's hard to wake up in the mornings. It's hard to actually do it. But how do we feel afterwards? And usually it's all positive, right? Because even myself or you or whoever, we could all agree when we exercise, we feel better after doing it, even though it's really hard to do. Yeah. So yeah, so that's why we do exercise groups at my job, because all of these people at my job, they're all mentally ill, like severely mentally ill. So we do exercise groups kind of to um, not only improve their body, but mostly to improve their mental health. 
is it a, is exercise a way to like is to sync your mind with your body and kind of like feel more present at the moment because like if you're working out and and if you're focusing on the stretches and you know yeah the exercise that you're doing you know you, you're kind of also diluting away from these these other aspects of your body and your mind that yeah. might be like affecting you negatively yeah so that's another thing that we look at when we're um doing the exercise groups we have three occupational therapists so we have one person leading one person um observing kind of managing the safety and then one person taking notes the person who's taking notes is documenting all of that so they're documenting if the patient has good focus or not if they're actively engaging in the exercise if they're responding to you know a lot of them hear voices so if they're responding to voices how their behaviors are so yeah, so, so we're looking to see if they're actively participating and with good focus because that shows, okay, they're improving. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. I didn't know like that. So it's a three, it's a three person operation. What yes. You're, what you're specifically doing. Yes. And have you done all three positions? Oh, yeah. We rotate every day. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Do you have a favorite? Um, They all have its perks and, you know, cons. Pros and cons. <laughs> Pros yeah. and cons. Because when you lead, you get to do whatever you want. You're, I saw that that's one of the reasons why I love the job is because you get to be really creative. When you lead groups, you could do whatever. Let's say the group topic is um, sensory. You could lead a group in regards to a sensory activity, but it could be as creative as you want, as long as it's safe because we do work with like a very acute population. Um, as the note taker, that one's a little bit more busy because you have to write every single person's name down. You have to write how they're dressed, if they're participating, what their behaviors are. So it's a lot of work, but that one, you're always busy. So that one, it kind of goes by really fast. And then the observer, that one's a pretty chill one too, because you're observing all of the behaviors. You're also managing the safety. You're managing the materials. But you can also, if it's like a pretty chill group, you could even do the activity with the patients. And they love when, when you know we're part of it, because we don't like having that relationship where it's like, you know, we're better than them. Like yeah. this art authority. How do you say it? Authoritarian. Yeah. We don't, we cannot like do that at the job because they're so sick. We have to, I always want to treat them like as a person, you know, not a patient. Yeah, as you should. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to getting to where you're at right now, you're, you're a doctor in occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. So you started off in San Francisco mm -hmm. for two years. Yes. And you went to kinesiology for that. So what yes. happened after? So two years at San Francisco State and then two years at University of Laverne because I transferred. I yeah, you play volleyball there, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I got kinesiology degree there. I took a year off, which is the year where I started applying to programs. Okay. Um, from there, I applied to University of the Paci or Pacific University in Oregon, and then I applied to USC. I got waitlisted at Pacific University, like the top 10 uh, waitlist. So I thought I was going there. Then I got waitlisted at USC. Um, that Monday when classes started, I, you know, was still on the waitlist. So I was like, well, I guess I might go to Pacific. Then that same night, I got a call saying I got admitted. So it was like super last minute. I had to drop everything all at once. I had to quit my job. I had to pack for school the next day were you in this at least in southern california when this happened yes okay yeah. that would have been so much stressful if you already like preparing for right. going over there yeah yeah so got into usc and then that's when i got my master's in occupational therapy and that's a two-year program and then after that i took 
one semester off, kind of just to take a break from school. You know, I traveled to Hawaii with my family. I also needed to study for the board's exam. Um, so after that semester, that's when I started my doctorate, which is a one-year program. And I just finished. Got it. And yeah. it's still at USC, right? Yes, it was at USC. So you had to apply to that as well? Yeah. Or was it like a transfer since you were already there? Yeah, I had to apply to it, but it was almost like a guaranteed admission because I was already a student there for my master's. Yeah. As long as you're in like good standing, like I think 3.0 was the GPA that you needed. Okay. So then as long as you were in good standing, all you had to do was send in your application. We didn't need to do like a letter of rec or like um, any of that. The GRE, we didn't have to do that because we were already a student for the master's That's program. Amazing. Yeah, so it was like a super smooth transition. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so something about higher education that I really, really like is like how you get more in depth into the curriculum and to what you're learning, you know? Mm -hmm. So obviously like kinesiology is very, very broad. And then you started honing skills for your master's for you. What were some of your favorite parts that like, what were some of your favorite classes like from, from school or, and also some (sighs) of the most challenging. Oh man. Some of my favorite, we had a, a creative arts class to kind of teach us the breakdown of how creative activities could be implemented into like meaningful occupations, which is the whole thing of like what occupational therapy is. So a lot of people, they know what like physical therapy is, but they're kind of questioning like what occupational yeah, therapy. What is that please? Like just, yeah. Yeah. What's the definition of that? So it's basically like incorporating meaningful activities into therapy for someone to return to the activities after they already developed like a physical injury, a developmental injury, or a mental health injury. So meaningful activities, that could be, you know, cooking, that could be riding your bike, that could be walking. Um, It's a whole, whole depth of areas that could be covered. So whatever that person wants to do, that's our job is to help them get back to that meaningful activity. Wow, I could see that class being so much fun. Yeah. Like, especially, like, it's it's totally different from, like, what I would think what you're going for in school, which is a lot of science, you know? Right. You know, wow, I, I like that. It's, it was, so, was a really like, creatively challenging class. So the like, creative arts class, we literally had our own Michael store. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, you name it, we had woodworking, sewing machines, everything. Because USC's bougie like resources. that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do we really need this? Probably not, but it's USC. So, but yeah, that job like literally allowed us to break down each task to see how someone with a physical injury, developmental injury, mental health uh, illness, how difficult it would be for them to go to each task to, let's say, build a birdhouse, something, whatever it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And was that during your master's or your doctorate? Mm -hmm. My master's. Your master's. Mm -hmm. And did, did did you have a favorite like degree that that you pursued like was it your master's doctorate like or just the, the bachelor's man that's a good i mean i i there's I, there, there's a lot of plays into it as well it also depends on your life you know outside yeah. of school like what's going on well i think my master's was really eye-opening because like you said that's when you really get to dive into the field that you're interested in so occupational therapy not until you're maybe like in your second year of that that degree is when you feel like whoa Like, I actually know what I want to do and, like, what occupational therapy is and, like, what field I'm interested in. So that's kind of where your mind kind of just is open to so many different parts because you're just exploring where you want to go into and where you could see yourself working, you know, for the rest of your life. Versus my doctor, I already was working 
while getting my doctorate because I was doing my residency at my job. So that was different because I was already, you know, I felt like a, an adult. I had my, my career already, but I had to implement a whole project, like my thesis, basically, while I was at my residency. So that was super cool as well. So there's pros and cons. There's, I, it's hard to choose, like, which one's my favorite. That's really, I, that's a good problem to have, you know, because, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, that means that you got a lot from your Definitely. entire journey of school, you know, which I'm fun. Sometimes people don't really do that. Oh, or get that, you know? Yeah. I mean, with a degree like occupational therapy, it's so um, intense that you have to be open to gaining all of this knowledge and experience because otherwise it's like, how are you going to fulfill your degree as an occupational therapist? Like, you need to go through all these steps and you need to be fully invested in order for you to, to get this degree. That's why it's so competitive and difficult, you know? Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to, like, the qualifications to it, all right? Besides school and the standard curriculum of GPA, what were some of the things that you had to do to get accepted into your master's program? You have to um, obviously have a degree of some sort. It didn't have to be kinesiology. It could be communications, whatever it is. But you have to also meet the requirements. They're called prerequisites. So you have to have anatomy, physiology, psychology there's like a certain list that you have yeah, to have yes okay and then also you have most schools um you have to have volunteer hours so that's like the big thing so i did my volunteer work at casa Kalina. it's a place in uh, pomona okay and then i did some at i think like building blocks for th- for kids which is in laverne so you just had to have like a good resume of all of your um therapy hours uh, how many did you have to do it depends on the school. I had over 100, over 100 hours. So it just depends on the school. The more looks better, you know? Yeah. Then you also had to have letter of recommendations. So I had one from the dean of the kinesiology department at Laverne. So that one was super, like, cool to, to have. Yeah, that's a big flex. And ex- exactly. And that's because Laverne is such a small school that he was my professor. So I knew him, like, really closely. And who else? I think I had, like, my volleyball coach. Um and I might have had like a professor or something like that. And I think, oh, and then you had to take the GRE, which is the a really, really ridiculously hard test. But nowadays, I don't think you have to take it anymore. Yeah, I think since COVID, they took it off. And right. I was actually uh, looking into grad programs for communication studies in USC. And they told me that, you know, at the moment, GREs are not there, but... They're, they're saying, quote unquote, it might come back. It's ridiculous. I hope it doesn't. It's, it's so hard. It's so like you, a foreign. You took it. Yeah, and it's like a foreign language. It's so hard. How long did you have to study for that? Is it kind of like the SATs? Yes. Okay. It's like the SATs, but a little harder. So, like. Oh, obviously. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's for grad school, right? Yeah. So, actually, when I took it, I didn't even meet the qualification for the USC um, minimum requirement. I didn't even meet it. I was short by like 10 points or something. Oh, wow. So when I got admitted to USC, I was on, I don't know if probation is the right word, but I was on, I guess, some sort of like academic hold because I had to pass all of my classes with at least a B my first semester in order to continue with the program. So I had that added pressure because I didn't meet the GRE requirement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happened to me for my bachelor's in in Cal Poly Pomona mm-hmm. because I was academically disqualified from Chico. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I wasn't like, I was like, um, like, like you said, I was accepted, but with under circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's very really interesting. So in your grad school, you also had to do 
volunteer hours, right? Yes. So you had to do volunteer hours to get like as a prerequisite and then in there it was part of the curriculum? Yes, exactly. So we had to, for the first three, I think three semesters of school, we had to do um, one full day a week of volunteer hours for six weeks. Okay. So eight hours? Eight hours for six weeks for three months. And then, so each semester, we had to do one day a week, eight hours for six weeks. Then after those three months, we had to do full-time work. So it was full-time for 12 weeks at two different settings. So my first setting was at LAC USC um, County Hospital, and that was for acute care. So acute care meaning, I've seen it all, people with gunshot wounds, stab wounds. I've worked with a patient who, like, tried commit suicide, um, jumped off a cliff oh my god people who've gotten like beat up cancer everything that you could possibly think of that was a really hard experience because i even had patients like pass away you know because they're so acute um oh actually i'm sorry that was my second one my first one was at kedron the place i'm currently working at so that was inpatient mental health so yeah i worked at kedron first and that was for 12 weeks full time then I worked at LAC USC for twelve weeks full time. And did USC like? Did they help you get into these these intern? Are they are they internships? They are right. Yeah, they're considered internships. Got yeah. It. Okay, so it, was it difficult to like choose what you wanted to do? Yeah, we get an option. So we get like our like USC is partnered with like a bunch of programs, right? Because we yeah. can't just have like a random place. We have to be partnered with them, and we have like hundreds, and it's on this website, and we basically have to choose our top fifteen. So we choose our top 15. I got lucky. Kedron was my number one because it was mental health and I knew that's what I was interested in. Um, so I got lucky and I got Kedron. And then my second one, LAC USC, I think they sent an email out saying they were looking for interviewees. And I had an interview for that position because I knew I wanted to look into acute care because I saw OT um, work on my mom because my mom's a breast cancer survivor. Okay. So I saw her get OT as an acute care, in acute care population. Were you with her in therapy? Yes. Yeah. So I wow. saw an OT work on her. So that's why I wanted to interview for LAC USC. So I interviewed. It was super competitive and I got it, which I was like, oh my God, like that is nuts because this is such a good hospital. But literally after three weeks working there, I knew that's not what I wanted to do. Because it was so intense? So intense. And you also are very limited and the things you could do because they're so acute. Okay. These patients are so sick. Sometimes the whole therapy session is literally just having them sit up at the edge of bed. That's it. Wow. Or stand up, you know? So you're very limited in the progression of what you could do with them because they're so sick. And then also it's terrifying because there's tons of like wires and cords and they're connected to all of this stuff. So sometimes it's like, you're just so, there's so much responsibility. So it's kind of overwhelming. So I knew, I was like, okay, I'm glad I tried it because it was super eye-opening and it was like an amazing experience. One thing I will never forget is I actually went into an, o, an OR room for a patient who was like, I think like 21 years old. He was a burn victim. He had like 75% of his body burned. Oh my God. And I went into his um, operating room to work on him and to like remove all these bandages and like, to do range of motion exercises. And it was just insane. Like that was one of like my bucket list things, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, it, that's a really it's interesting insane. bucket list. 
Um, I have a question, though, when it comes to occupational therapy. How does it play with physical therapy? Yeah. So we work a lot with physical therapies, um, physical therapists, especially in the acute care setting. So we'll look at it like this. Let's say someone injured their ankle. Physical therapists, they're going to immediately work on fixing that ankle, right? Range of motion, exercises, stuff like that. Occupational therapists, we're going to work after that injury is kind of a little bit healed. And now, okay, what does what meaningful occupation does that person want to return to? Walking, of course, because they probably can't walk that well. Maybe they're soccer players. Maybe they want to play soccer again. That's when we kind of take over and we'll try to teach them how to incorporate those meaningful occupations again. Got it. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. So does that like does that mean that when you're treating these people, sometimes will they feel like traumatized of what, like what they did? So that has to incorporate into the therapy? Yes. And that's something physical therapists don't really like work with too much, right? Because they're just physiologically getting the range back in motion while you're trying to get the mind to work with the body again. Right. So physical therapists, they still have to be aware of, you know, the, the mental side effects that could come along with suffering like a traumatic injury. So they're still aware of that. But that's also one of the reasons why I love OT is because we kind of have to dive more in depth with the mind and the, the body. Um, so I remember like I worked with a patient who um, got his leg amputated and he was physically strong enough to like do the therapy, but he couldn't even look at his leg because he was like freaking out. Like his, his anxiety was so high. He wanted to cry every time like we removed the bandages because imagine not having your leg anymore. Yeah. So that's, that's where we kind of have to take back, take a step back as therapists and be like, okay, Today, we're not going to work on the therapy. Let's work on him just feeling better about himself, you know? Got it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you did the, after these two internship programs, these were both during your master's. Right. So the internship, as well as the classes, is there anything else in a curriculum that you had to do in order to have, in order to like, to like proceed to your doctorate? Um, well... For my master's, no. My master's, it's just the whole, all the classes, right, that are incorporated into the system, plus all the field work, which is the uh, internship hours. Um, After that, you're able to graduate with your master's. In order to get into your doctorate, you have to pass your board's exam within the first semester. And in order for you to start your residency at your, at your, uh, for your doctorate degree, you have to pass your boards. Yeah. So that's the next big step. Got it. And the boards of exam was probably like a GRE on steroids, even more stressful. And we're, so you were studying, um, were you studying for that in the time you were, you were taking that break yes. like in Hawaii? Yes. So obviously when I came back from Hawaii, that's when I was like, okay, let me, let me get my study plan together. So I studied for about two months. Um, I think the first time I took it was late October or something like that. Are you a procrastinator? Quick question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yeah. Okay. I would say I'm a procrastinator, but I also am the type of person to freak out and feel like I have to prepare. Okay. Like I have some friends who studied for like a month. I'm like, "How?" You know, and they passed. It's it's everyone's different. So so I made sure to study for at least 2 months. Um the first time I took it, I failed by 3 points. Yeah. Failed by 3 points. So then once you Oh, it's the worst feeling ever when you, cause they, 
oh my god, they make it so bold when you refresh the page to see, oh, your, your uh, scores are out. It'll say in big, bold letters, failed. Just boom. They'll say it straight up to your face, failed. Um, Just ripping a bandage on, like, yeah. wow. Yeah, and it's always around like 5 in the morning, 3 in the morning when they tell you. So you're like super anxious, you can't even sleep. And then they, they email you that they're out. And yeah, so the first time I failed by three points. So I had to retake it. Second time I failed again by two points. Yeah, so that it's, man, it was so hard. It's two points, like two questions? or We don't know. Oh, okay. That's the thing is we don't know how the system is calculated. The exam is four hours long. So it's a four hour long exam and it's, oh my God, they're so difficult. They're all clinical scenario questions. So it'll be like, you know, you have a patient with lupus and they're struggling with this. This is their side effects. How can you blah, 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 blah. So they're all clinical scenarios. Right, so it's questions. not like ABC multiple choice. It's all critical thinking, long answer type well, of thing. Well, it is ABC, but it's like literally ABCDEF or something like it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I think it might even go up to like, I don't know. I'm not sure. But it's it's not just ABCD. Got it. Um, but anyways, um, I failed the second time by two points. Then I took it a third time. I failed it by five points, I think. Yeah. How did you feel after that? Oh, my God. It was, I mean, failing multiple times was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to go through. Like, How, how many times in between each test did you have? prepared um between the first and second time i think i took it within a month between the second and third probably about another month or two and then after the third i think like um you have to take at least at least two to three months off like they won't let you take it within another month okay so i think i took about three months off of studying again and actually um Going into my fourth time, I actually advocated for myself to get accommodations because I suffer from chronic migraines. And I've gotten those since I was maybe, I don't know, 20 or something, like when I was just kind of getting into my college programs. Wow. Um, so I actually had to go get a letter from my dentist who makes me a mouth guard for like grinding of my teeth, which could relate to like my migraines. I had to get a letter from my primary doctor to show like I've gone to the ER for my migraines before to show the medications that I've gone to get for my migraines to show like just to show proof that I'm not making this up. Right. Yeah. And so once I got um, once I sent that in, I actually got approved because when you take that test, it's four hours long in a bright room with bright lights. Those are first of all, those are two reasons why I could get a, a migraine triggered. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, you're not allowed food or water. You have to actually, like, get out of the room and, like, you're, the clock is still ticking. You have four hours, so the clock is still ticking if you have to go to the bathroom, if you have to get water, if you have to get snacks. And then I think that's it. So I got approved, and I was able to take the test in a separate room, so not with other people. A separate room, I had an adjustable desk. I was able to turn the lights on and off. Um, I was able to have snacks with me and water and the biggest thing is i got the test time extended to six hours instead of four and this was the fourth attempt fourth attempt fourth attempt i passed by i don't know like 15 points or something <laughs> yeah damn so by 15 so 15 points you passed in the fourth attempt right i'm not sure exactly how much but it, i 
didn't pass by just like one or two. It was like a good amount of points. And I remember something that I didn't mention was on this fourth attempt, I didn't tell anyone, not even my boyfriend, not even my family. I didn't tell anyone that I was taking the test because I didn't want that pressure on me. So I, they knew I was studying for the test, but they didn't know when I was going to take it. Were they asking or did they like, did they know that was a boundary like just to leave well, you? Well, they obviously asked, but I told them, I'm not telling you guys. <laughs> Got it. I told them, I'm not going to tell you guys because I just want to focus on myself. Like, I don't want to disappoint my family or, you know, it's just, it's kind of like this feeling of like shame and embarrassment, obviously, because everyone is expecting you to pass. And, um... So I didn't tell anyone. I remember I it was in Pomona, the test-taking location. So I slept over at my cousin's house and um, took the test. I came home, didn't, you know, didn't tell anyone about what I was doing or anything. I think I found out maybe a week later. And I remember it was like 4 a.m. or something. I looked at my phone and I saw that I passed. And I just took... Did the, it say pass? Like, you know, all yes. In all, all caps, all caps okay. pass. So same energy as fail. Yes. I love that. And I remember I just like took the biggest sigh of relief. I just couldn't believe it. I got up. I went to my parents' room. I woke them up and I just looked at them and I smiled. And then my mom was like, you passed. And I was like, yeah. And we we just went crazy. Like we could not believe it because it was such a journey for me, you know, like it was so hard because I had other classmates post, you know, on Instagram, pass, pass passed and it took me what maybe from october till april or something like that eight months something like yeah wow because october was the first time i took it okay and then i passed i think it was in april i want to say damn um so it took me a very long time to pass that exam the hardest exam Ever. So you couldn't even start your doctorate degree before that, right? So the entire, like from October to April, was just focusing on the exam? So I was able to start the classes for my doctorate degree. So there's only three classes needed for the doctorate degree. So I was able to take those classes. So actually, the last attempt, I was taking three classes on top of studying. Wow. So it was very difficult because um, I had those three extra doctorate classes, but I could not start my residency until I passed this exam. Okay. So I even had the pressure of my, my current boss because he told me, you know, yes, I will hire you. Yes, you could do your residency here. I'll wait until you obviously pass your boards. So I had him kind of in the back of my head because he was waiting for me, you know? Oh my God. But the feeling of passing that exam is one of the best feelings i've ever experienced in my life because at 4 a.m yeah that's crazy i couldn't sleep afterwards could, of you, course you're gonna see oh yeah i mean the adrenaline i could imagine yeah i mean i feel like my whole course of like you know going to san francisco state going to usc getting accepted to usc it all was pretty smooth so at this point I was expecting to pass my first time, you know, especially knowing that I had peers pass their first time. Um, but honestly, this test is so, so difficult that a lot of it is luck because a lot of times you run out of time and you kind of just have to guess or not even because you run out of time because there are questions that are so difficult, you have to guess. There's no way you can't, you could even attempt it because it's so hard. So sometimes people just get lucky and they guess the correct answer and that's going to differentiate differentiate you from passing 
versus failing by two points. Well, I mean, like, g- guessing is a very, I don't think that's the right word here because, you know, it's like you've been prepared for it. So, like, this this curricular, this curriculum that you went through kind of allowed you allowed like an aspect of instinct i think that's what the test might have been doing with these with these really difficult parts is allowing not you to like allowing those moments where you might not be fully prepared for you know and how would you respond it well, wasn't really i don't know i, I no, i get i get what you're saying but i can 100 percent confidently say that there are questions on that exam that you will not be prepared to answer even after going through your master's program. Wow. 100%. There are questions on there that are just so foreign that you have no clue. You're like, what the heck? I, I never got taught this, you know? And it's sometimes, you know, the, the exam does do practice questions. So I think there's like 180 questions, but they throw away 30 of them because 30 of them are just practice questions. So obviously we don't know which ones are the practice ones or not. But you know, maybe that really, really, really hard one is just a practice question. And that's why they're throwing it in to see how many people are able to pass it and get it right. Or how many people obviously just have to guess and get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, also like the stress of them intentionally doing that to you will probably affect your performance throughout the entire test. So let me tell you. So I have never experienced anxiety until I took this exam. Really? So the first time I took the exam, I took it at like 8.30 in the morning. So I had to be there at eight. I literally woke up and I was in the fetal position because I was so sick. Like my stomach hurt. I had a migraine. I should have not taken the test that day. But me being me, I felt like I could, you know, push through it. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna back out now. I got to the test exam. No, on my way driving to the exam, I had to pull over because I had to throw up. Oh my god. I pulled over, wow. I threw up. And then I got to the test exam. I got there a little bit early. So I took a 10-minute nap in my car just so I could feel a little bit better. So once the test exam started, I literally felt myself shaking. Like I felt my arm shaking trying to navigate the mouse to like, you know, to click on an this answer. This is barely starting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. because so that's how four hours feeling like that constantly? I think it took about, not four hours, I think I felt better, you know, during the middle of the exam, but at least the first hour was just so nerve wracking and with such high levels of pressure and stress that I couldn't handle it. And I never experienced that ever in my life. So I feel like that also might have, um, you know, affected me not performing my best because I was so I was just freaking out. Yeah, I mean, you weren't in your most, like, efficient state. Yeah. You know, you weren't the Marissa that was studying. Yeah. So, like, wow, that's that's intense. And even though, like, as we're studying, we we read that everywhere. We read, like, your mental state is so important going into this exam because you have to be fully, you have to be your best self, you know? You can't have these negative emotions and anxiety and stuff like that because you have to put, you have to focus on this yeah. four-hour and exam. And then you're going to be working with people like that too. So there yes. should be like a sense of balance and control to like kind of like spread that energy to others hopefully in the future. Yeah. So um, even though I knew I had to go into this exam a certain way, it still affected me. And I think even my second time I felt, I you know, I was taking deep breaths 
I tried not to like freak out, but I still felt like my heart pounding just because I knew like I have to pass, I have to pass, I have to pass. And I feel like that never went away, even the third and fourth time. I, but especially the fourth time after getting accommodations and I had the extended time, I was able to get out of my seat and go take a walk. You know, that helped so much. And I feel like that is a reason why I was able to pass the fourth time as well. Not only because I was more familiar with the questions, I was just so much more in a, men- in a positive mental state. You know, I, I try not to have this negative mindset. One of the podcasts, um, there's a podcast for this exam, like to study. It's a OT who basically teaches us through his podcast, oh, wow. certain topics of the exam. And one thing that I'll always remember is like, don't go into it thinking it's test day. Go into it thinking it's game day, you know? So I was able to relate to that because I was a volleyball player. So I was like, okay, cool. It's game day. Like, let's go, you know. Like, you're going pump. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's the mindset I had every single time. And it was the hardest eight months of my life. I mean, I was, yeah, it's, it's like a feeling of failure because you couldn't even start your career without passing this exam. Wow. How was your support system? Like, oh, yeah. It was great. I mean, I had my family and... Christian, my boyfriend, they just they just kept motivating me and kept um, being patient with me because I had to study every day. I remember you like taking videos of studying while like at a Kid Cudi concert. Did I? Yeah, I think it was for like Heart Summer or something. <laughs> like, it was a, there was like a video of you literally with your notebook <laughs> in front of fucking Kid Cudi. Like, yeah. I don't even remember, but probably, probably. Yeah, I had to study everywhere, every chance I got, you know. Every time I got into a car, I had that po- that podcast on or I had YouTube videos on because just like even if I wasn't fully able to grasp the information, it's still subconsciously, you know, it's in my mind, like running and running and running. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so w- when it came to the results of failing, you know, because um, one of the hardest, like, it's hard to, like, see it. Another, another like, w- another thing is, like, accepting it. And accepting it is by saying it out loud, telling people, like, you know, like, what happened. Like, yeah. how was that process for you? I think, honestly, I kept it very um, low-key a little bit. I didn't want to be that person to, you know, to to post that I was struggling with this. I kind of kept it to myself and just wanted to focus on myself. And I wanted to focus on the support system that I had. So I I really, um, it was really hard because I did keep it to myself, you know. I didn't really reach out to um, my friends or anything like that. However, something that was huge that really helped me was recognizing there was other classmates who were in the same boat as I was. So I don't even know how. It was just like word of mouth. Like, obviously, I would tell like a close friend that I didn't pass. So then she would hear like this person didn't pass. So then we would connect me and that person. We would study together. You know, we would go to the library and study together. We would talk about the feelings of failing and like how hard it was to see our peers pass. And then we were still in this position. So that was one thing that was super, super, super helpful because they knew exactly what I was going through. You know, my family and Christian, they didn't know what I was going through. They didn't know the feeling of not passing this ridiculous exam. 
So directly talking to a classmate who did go through that was probably, you know, the most helpful thing because we were supporting each other. Yeah, you know? it's like validating, you yeah. know? Yeah, damn, that's something that is difficult sometimes to find in moments where you fail, you know, because at least with me, my biggest failure was getting academically disqualified from school, you know, from Chico State. And, you know, I, it was because I literally failed every class. And I remember, like, the first, like, when I got that, the letter saying that I was academically disqualified, like, it was so difficult. My heart sank. Yeah. And I didn't know how to approach my parents with it. It took me a week Aww. to, like, co- like, come up with the words yeah. to say, like, I didn't make it, you know. And, like, I broke down in front of them when it happened. It was really difficult for me to even tell my friends what happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as time passed, I ended up realizing, like, you know what, like, this is part of me for some reason, you know, like, I I have to go through this and there I shouldn't be hiding it because, you know, that's not that's not me. Like, and, you know, in time, it's, it's really interesting because, like, you know, at the moment, failure feels really difficult, you know, and like it's something that you don't want to become a reality. But as time passes, like you looking back at this now, Marissa, it's more, it's not really a testament to your failure, but it's a testament to your resilience, mm-hmm. you know, and like on what you're able to learn yeah. and like grow from this, you know, and for you to, for you to go through this test three times before realizing that there are some things you can do for yourself, you know, like instead of having to go through the same environment, you know, like you, you looked for these accommodations, which 100% helped you. And it wasn't easy to do that. It wasn't easy to, like, it must have been difficult to even find a resource of accommodating. Then it must have been difficult for you to reach out for help saying, hey, like, you know, I need help with this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's it's a hit to your ego. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that person that needed accommodations. And it's it's something that I never thought I would need. But now I'm like, man, I should have pushed for this since the very beginning. I just never knew how badly it could affect me. Like, I didn't know my migraines were that bad. But literally, since this exam is so long and you have to put, you have to focus for four hours straight. By the end of, by the last hour of the exam, I literally felt myself covering my eyes. Like, like if I, like I needed a hat or something because the screen was so bright and because the lights were so bright. So I literally had a test with my eyes, with my hand on top of my forehead to cover my eyes. Because I just couldn't deal with the brightness. Yeah, I mean, four hours is intense. You know, yeah. I could barely stay focused for the Avatar movie, and that's three hours, <laughs> and that's a yeah. fucking movie. You know, yeah. like, oh my god, yeah, no, that's definitely something that's that's really interesting. And you know, I remember when we first started talking about you know just collaborating with this something I really really admire about you and what you've done is you're a doctor in occupational therapy, a, a graduate from USC. You know, and one thing that I want to really highlight here because it's so powerful. It's the fact that you're a Latina woman, you know, like there's not really much many people with our background, with our stories, with, with our culture and our heritage that Mm. could say that they are what you are. Yeah. Yeah. Every day my family tells me how proud they are of me every day. I might be, you know, still 26 years old and already with my career, but every day my mom and dad are so proud because I mean, they never imagined that their daughter would be able to do this, you know? And I, and I'm also so proud that I'm able to, to do this as well, not only for myself, but for them, you know, cause now that I'm 
in my career, I'm able to help them out more also. You know, it was a struggle getting there because as a student, you're broke. As yeah. a student, you have no money, which I mean, is you why... you all the internship unpaid, which is unpaid. ridiculous. Yeah, unpaid. And um, it's really, really hard being in that position. But honestly, it's so worth it. Like, it's not... Obviously, school is not for everyone. But if you are dedicated and in it, it's there's like a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Because I see like my boyfriend, Christian, he's in physical therapy school right now. And he is so overwhelmed and drained because of how much work is into it but he he's even said like you inspire me because i see that there is hope you know like it's all worth it in the end and i i mean i speak for everyone who is in that boat whether it's even in school or in job in their job or just in life in general like i like to think like everything happens for a reason you know there's a reason why i failed that exam so many times and now that I look back at it, yeah, like I'm, I'm a doctor and I did an awesome project at my residency. And now I'm like, okay, talking about my past, you know, about, about my history with the exam and everything, mostly because I want other people to know like it's okay to go through that and also to help like future OTs, you know, like to help other students who are going through that. Yeah, no, like, that's definitely something I admire for me, too. Even as a spectator, you know, from someone who I didn't talk to you consistently, but I followed you mm-hmm. on social media, not in person, <laughs> you know? So, like, in Instagram, <laughs> I'll be seeing you, you know, like, posting that, like, oh, I got into USC. I was like, what the hell? Like, she's going to USC? Like, oh, I got my doctorate. I mean, I got my master's in USC. Like, hell yeah. And then, then like, you announcing you're going to your doctorate, like, it blew my mind you know and just as an outside like perspective of your of your life and your story i was really like excited to see dude what the hell is she doing now like what is she up to (laughs) you know and you know i just also want to say thank you for even coming on here and sharing your story and you know because that's something that we briefly talked about when you delivered me acai bowls you know like you're just oh yeah like i'm going through my master's of occupational therapy so i'm like dude that sounds cool like you should like have a podcast we should definitely like i would love to like hear about your story and stuff and here we are talking about it yeah and that's how it all started i remember i remember that conversation we had such a good conversation and now now we're here (laughs) yeah dude I, i actually think um that conversation we had was a week after I got out of got out of the hospital for my blood clot in my lungs. No way. Yeah, like I still like I I vaguely remember like kind of like I had difficulty talking, you know, like at that time because I mean obviously like I was still trying to get the blood out of my lungs, you mm-hmm. know, like. But yeah, like it's it's very interesting to see how much life passes and how much like time changes us, you know, yeah. and also like in a good way because obviously I think the the whole point of life is to grow and learn, you know, and school is a really solid way to do that if you're disciplined you know and you know you definitely have that discipline in you that a lot of people don't you know part of it is worth ethic part of it is just the way you're born you're built different in that way you know because like one thing that like marissa i i'm like i feel so inspired by you just by not just going through this like tremendous journey of school but the things you did in between you know, like you played, you played volleyball, you won awards in volleyball, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You coached college volleyball, you coached high school volleyball, yeah. you started a business, yeah. you know, and not just, you didn't just focus in your, in school, but you focused in yourself, you know, honing in these skills, 
like trying to get the most out of your life and your experience and that's something that a lot of people suffer with mm-hmm. yeah i'm kind of crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm non-stop like you know sometimes i do have to remember to say no and kind of take a step back and like take care of myself too because yeah like you said i was in school but i was also coaching i was coaching los altos volleyball plus doing private lessons on the side plus i was doing my acai bowl business and i was doing that obviously to support myself because i didn't have money but also because i loved it like it was so fun i loved coaching because i I even coached my little brother in high school you know it was so cool plus being an ex athlete ex volleyball player i wanted to you know teach the future generations you know um Plus my acai bowl business, like even though I'm done with school and I'm working now, like I still have plans on continuing that because I've seen how how awesome it was, you know, like yeah, as you should because yeah. like in like you started in in COVID and you already have over a thousand followers mm-hmm. for acai business, you know, like that is amazing. Yeah, follow me, guys. Four seasons acai. Four seasons acai. <laughs> yep. So you previously mentioned how you were working on this, like almost thesis, but not a thesis for your doctorate, you know, and I've, you know, like you, you posted parts of it on social media, but let, I would love to just dive into like, what is it that you did for your, for your, for your, is it thesis? Can we say thesis or what can we say? (laughs) It's, it's called my deliverable. So basically, basically it is a thesis. We just don't call it that. I think thesis is more for the PhD program. Got it. So like as I was talking to you, I have my doctorate degree, not my PhD degree. So it's two separate things. Um, So for my deliverable, what I did is I incorporated murals into the patio at my job. So basically my job we have this patio where before I incorporated my deliverable, it was just gray. Like all of the the walls were gray, very depressing. Like it was a very depressing place for the patients to be. Even though we were a psychiatric hospital, it wasn't inviting at all. Like you walk in there as like a spectator or imagine walking in there as a patient. It's scary. Like these patients are going through so much in their life. So I wanted to create the whole purpose of my doctorate project was to uplift the environment. Okay. So as occupational therapists, like we know, and we learn the importance of our environment and how that affects our mental health. So that's why I wanted to incorporate this project. So for about three months, I would run groups two times a week with the patients and we incorporated murals onto the wall. So we incorporated artwork. We directly painted onto the walls to uplift the environment. Yeah, that's something I love because, you know, definitely I think interior design and exterior design really play a big part into just the functionality of society, you know? Yeah. Like I used to work at a coffee shop that had multiple stores. And I remember this one specific store that everybody hated. You know, everybody that I worked in that company hated this store and working in it. I understood why just because I didn't I understood the vibe, but I didn't understand why. And a friend like kind of shine light on it. It's because of the interior design. The inside was painted like this, like yellowish white, you know, and just the colors felt dead, Mm -hmm. you know, and it felt like we were trapped and compared to like. One of the newer stores where I used to work at, it was really bright and vibrant and there was a lot of green and 
it was like I I really did notice the difference in the environment and how it affects people. So right. I, I I that's so interesting how it took so long. It took you to go in there and change something that's gonna ch like affect this facility forever. Exactly, and that's the isn't that crazy? Like yeah, like you said that those if it wasn't for me, those walls will still be like that. You know. And some of the images that we created on these walls were a lot of like nature-based murals um, because there's like a lot of research. Obviously, I had to dive into tons of research for this um, that shows like being in nature affects our mood, affects our our overall like health and mental well-being. Like how can you say like a day at the park or like being in like the forest or being at the beach doesn't make you feel a little better? You know, compared yeah. to like being, you in, know, in, in the office cubicle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's why obviously at my job, we can't incorporate like a garden or anything like real life nature because of safety reasons. Um, but what I did was I incorporated on the walls. So yeah. we drew nature based murals. We also incorporated um, positive affirmations. So one of the words on the murals, it says, it's going to be a good day. And that's, it's like one of the first things you see when you walk in the patio and same positive affirmations. Like basically I tell the patients all the time. I say, I tell them when I didn't pass my boards exam, I use positive affirmations to kind of think positively about myself. Even if I was so down and I was feeling so crappy by you just saying like, you know what? I could do it. It will help you even if you don't believe it it will still help you subconsciously. So that's why I have like a huge positive affirmation wall for the patients to see that when they're on the patio. Yeah, I know. That is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, like being able to... Also, it's one thing getting artists to do this. You know, another thing is having these people who are living it every day do it. You know, yes. like they see their mark in it. And, you know, like it could be interesting because, you know, like six months later a year later they can look back at it and also just look back in their life and also see the, the slow but progress that yeah. has been that is there you know yeah and that's another thing is it's not professional artwork you know it's created by me and a bunch of psychiatric patients they are ranging from 18 to i don't know 60 years old they're not artists either some of them believe it or not were artists oh my god we we had a lot of creative people but also, that's the whole point of, like you said, leaving leaving their mark. You know, they don't live here in this air, in this facility for, you know, their whole life. They're there for a few days, a few weeks. But it allows them to kind of leave their mark and feel included and empowered to be participating into, in groups like this, you know. And those are some of the things that I saw while doing this is I just saw how happy they were being a part of my groups. Because not only is painting therapeutic but it also taught them so much about you know i had to educate them i had to tell them the purpose of why we're doing this how we could enhance the environment in our normal day lives you know in our daily today lives um i mean it was such a rewarding feeling to see it all completed now and the next project that i ultimately would love to implement is to fix the floors in the patio because now the walls are all updated but the floors are still really crappy but we couldn't do that for my doctorate project because that just requires like, oh, it's like a whole other step because it's so big, so much paint, so much that will go into it. 
Plus, we have to close down the patio so that way patients don't walk on it, you know? Yeah, like to let the paint dry. And stuff. Yeah. So that's yeah, like... The logistics seem pretty difficult. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. But that's ultimately a goal that I hope... It, I think the engineering department is in charge of that. But I hope that they could implement that, you know, in the future. Wow. So based off of this, you know, project that you did, what were the responses that you got from both the patients, but also the like the faculty? Right. Yeah. So the patients, I collected a lot of like qualitative data to measure their satisfaction in our groups. So just off the top of my head, I think some people said they felt included, empowered, and I think it was like important or something like that. I said, describe how these, how this group makes you feel. And then with um, the faculty, oh my God, I've had so many positive, you know, People have come up to me saying, like, this is so awesome what you're doing. Like, we really needed this. I, I had a student. She said, um, this is hands down my favorite group. Every time we go up to the patio, people are saying, like, are complimenting and, like, looking for me, saying, like, I can't believe you did this. Like, thank you so much. We had so many people wanting to even be a part of it. So there was, like, one area where we had to put our hand our handprint on a tree and I even had like nursing staff. They're like, can I put my handprint on there? I'm like, of course, like be involved, you know, they'll put their handprint. They'll even write their like initials. And it's just, it was just so awesome to see everyone involved. You know, all of my groups too, we always had other disciplines like the nursing staff, the mental health workers. They wanted to come just to observe because it was awesome to see the patients so involved in a group, you know? Plus, it was awesome to see the patio being updated and renovated, not only to enhance the patient's mental health, but to help our mental health as well. Because working in a psychiatric hospital, just think about how overwhelming it is for us, the workers. So being in a place where it could be a little bit, you know, we could shine a light a little bit brighter there, it's just so important for the patients and for us as well. Yeah. And how was the process of getting it approved? Right. Was it difficult? Um, yes and no. So obviously I had to talk to my supervisor about this. After that, I had to talk to the CEO of the hospital. Wow. So I talked to the CEO in order for it to get approved. Once he approved it, I had to communicate with like the engineering department because they're the ones who were able to order all the supplies with me. So they ordered the paint, paint extenders, the tarps, um, tape, stuff like that. But it wasn't hard to get approved. It was just difficult to manage all the materials and to be safe while doing these groups. Because I'm working with such an acute population, they could use a paintbrush, you know, like as a weapon. They could use a paint extender, which are, which are the extenders to paint like the top of the walls. That could easily be a weapon. So that was the most nerve wracking thing. Because it was only me. You know how I said in my groups, there's three of us? Yeah. It was only me for my doctorate project. Because that's the whole point of your doctorate project is to become a leader. So they force you to do it by yourself. Wow. So it was by myself. But I also had the assistance of like nurses and like security. But they weren't directly involved in it. You know, so I was three in one. So I had to lead the group. 
I had to do the note taker. Plus I had to manage all the safety and the materials. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is impressive, dude. <laughs> wow. It was a lot. Yeah. And how long did this last? How long did this, did this take? Three months. Three months. Yes. So it took three months. We did two groups every week for 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That, I, I, um, do you have before and after pictures of this? Of course. This? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I would love to share that in when we re, when, when this is released. Yes, I definitely will. Because for my doctorate project, I had to create not only this deliverable, but I had to do a portfolio, which is like 50 pages long basically writing all the research that I found, how my classes incorporated into this, the steps of this, the problems I ran into, everything. It had everything in there. So yeah, of course, I have a timeline of like the before, the progression, and then the after pictures. Yeah. So because you finished this, you're officially a doctor now, right? Right. Even though you've been doing the work for quite some time. Right. Like did anything about it hit you? after this or has it has it just been like a continuous pro like process since you've already been doing this work i think it was a little sad to end the project because the patients loved it so much like i was like man like i really provided something that they were so involved in so that's why i didn't want to stop it however the outside patio it's already all painted so i can't add any more on the outside so actually how i'm continuing the this project is i'm moving into the inside right now so we have an inside day room where we run groups indoors and right now i'm focusing on enhancing that environment so i'm trying to incorporate like a wall where we could still paint maybe like a holiday theme wall so like a wall where we could do like you know, a Christmas tree because, you know, these patients can't even have a Christmas tree at the hospital. Um, I'm incorporating like snowflakes onto the walls because, I mean, come on, you're celebrating Christmas in a psychiatric hospital. So I'm trying to move indoors and fix the environment in there now. So that way our groups could be more inviting as well. And not only am, am I providing like therapy for them, but I'm also like having them be included and having them feel safe and comfort while being in the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that is, that is also so cool that, you know, this, which started off as a project for your doctor ended up becoming something that like, it's kind of like a, almost like a passion project now, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like, that's being created within this facility. Yeah. And it's just really cool seeing the support, of not just like the patients but also the faculty you know like seeing these people who are interested in seeing like what you're doing whether it's observing or actually participating it's really inspiring like you like it's crazy like i feel like there's like you've already like you're already creating a mark you know something that is gonna stay with them that was created by you you know like how do you feel about that i mean it it's just a really cool experience like I actually just got interviewed by the social media department at my my job because they want to have have my story and my project on their website and their Instagram. So Kedron Health is where I work. And if you follow them on Instagram, they're going to post a story about me. I don't know when. We How do you just spell it? 
Kedren, K-E-D-R-E-N, Kedren. Um, so yeah, I got interviewed in front of my murals. I told them what I did, the purpose of it, the results of it. Um, it's just a really cool experience because every time I go up there, I'm like, yep, I did this. Like, you know, I did this with the patients. And the cool thing about it too is that I've only been working there for six months. So a lot of people didn't even know who I was. And now like everyone knows who I am there because I'm the person who created all this artwork on the mural. So it's just like a super cool and humbling experience to be a part of. And that's another thing like my mom and dad are so proud of me for doing this because it, it's such an impact for, for the patients. And it, it was such a big task to do. A lot of people wouldn't do what I did because it was hard. It was not easy. It was really hard to manage all of the materials, to manage 20 to 30 psychiatric patients all at once and trying to get them to create a beautiful piece of artwork, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't easy, but the overall results of it is is so fun and so awesome to to work at every single day. You know, I see the patio every day and I'm just like, man, this is so cool, you know? Yeah. I mean, dude, that is uh, – it's also – must be nice on your end as well to kind of get this positive feeling from working at an environment that you're doing that's so intense, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, from the little bit that we talked about, you mentioned that, like, you're always under, like, you know, security supervision for your own safety. Like, literally, like, going to work every day is almost a hazard for you. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, and we'll talk more about that probably at the next episode. But, yeah, I mean there's so much that goes into where I work and you're right. We are with security 24 seven because the patients that I work with are so acute and they're in there because they're either a danger to self, which means they're probably suicidal, a danger to others, which means they're like their intentions might be to kill people. um, Or they're gravely disabled, which means they're so mentally ill that they can't even, provide food for themselves or shelter. So they're very, very, very ill. And it's very eye-opening to work with this population. And I mean, I have so many stories that I could talk every day. Every day is is a new experience at my work. And I love talking about it because I want to spread that awareness, you know, of not only are these patients, they're, they're psychotic, yes, but they're some of the best patients ever. And that's why I love my job because I get to make an impact on them, but I also get to spread awareness on mental health and for us to recognize like, yeah, they're sick, but they're still people, you know, they're, they might seem scary, but they're just sick right now and they need help, you know, but they're some of the best people ever. Yeah, no, that's definitely something that I, I'm really excited for us to go in depth with for, yeah. like, for the, like this next episode. But yeah, with that being said, is there anything else you want to say in this episode? I don't think so, Caesar. I think we covered a lot. We did. We literally covered your life story for, for occupational therapy. Yeah, it's kind of, it's crazy looking back at it and like being here and sharing my story. It's time, got, time goes by so fast, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's just going to be really cool also to look back on this, you know, right. in the future. You could just see like from then to now, like how much you've grown. Right. Because this is literally just the beginning, dude. Yeah. Like you have your whole life to impact these people and impact like what you're doing as a profession. Because even though right now you're saying you're not, you know, like looking into, you know, advancing into the research base, 
which is a way you can make an impact into your field. Like what you're doing right now is it's it's another impact in your field that you know I didn't know was possible. I don't know if you knew that, but that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only been a licensed OT for six months, something like that. Yeah, so you're, you're so rookie I and, with all these stories. That's so. I'm crazy. still a baby. I know. At least in the in the OT field, in I'm I'm a baby. Field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, with that being said, though, um, again, thank you for being here. I appreciate you. And for those who are still listening, stay tuned because it's about to get juicy with this next episode. (laughs) Thank you, Caesar. Of course. And um, if people want to reach out to you, is there any way they can? Yeah. I mean, if if anyone's interested in in OT and what we do, or maybe you have a relative who is getting OT or anything like that, or even with mental health, you could reach out to me on my Instagram. So it's, I think it's at Marissa, at underscore Marissa Rojo. I think that would probably be the, you know, the easiest way. Yeah. And then what's the doctor? Uh, what's the what's the Instagram page again for? Oh, it's uh, Kedren Health. K-E-D-R-E-N Health. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, both. Uh, you could find it at the episode description, so just check it out, and you'll be able to reach out to both of them. Yes. But yeah, with that being said, again, my name is Caesar, and I was here with Marissa Rojo. Please stay tuned next time for our episode where we talk about some very spicy and only six months of for stories, which is pretty is pretty crazy. But yeah, with that being said, though, my name is Caesar again, and you know where to find me at the Zenith. Goodbye. Yeah.